Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Hello and welcome to episode number 85 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. Before I take you to meet this week's guest, I'd just like to be so bold as to tell you about a new artwork that I've just released. You may be aware at the start of lockdown I produced a tally-made padlock called Self-Isolation Every Minute Counts. It was made up of 20,160 tally marks which constituted 14 days. The original drawing sold pretty much straight away, and because of the subject matter, I correctly presumed that it would make quite a popular print. And to make them more easily accessible, I made an addition of 150 and brought the price down to 95 pounds. And as mentioned, they were so popular that I've produced another original, same size, but with copper leaf in the background, which is 58 by 50 centimeters, and the digital prints, which are 50 by 40 centimetres, will also be hand embellished with copper leaf, this time in an edition of 30, and they are just £190. So if you'd like to get your hands on one of these before they're gone, contact me on Instagram on either Ministry of Arts Org or Mizog Art, M-I-Z-O-G-A-R-T. But with my sales pitch out the way, Please let me introduce you to this week's guest. 
When I first decided to start this podcast over two years ago, Sarah Maple was in my top ten of people to ask. And that's because I find her work just so powerful. Of artists that I've discovered since completing my degree, Sarah Maple is definitely in my top five. No, she's definitely in my top three. I like her humour, I like her approach, and I like the way that when I see her new work, in whichever subject it is, she makes me think whether I can approach that subject a little bit better myself. Now that's a powerful artwork, right? Now let me tell you a bit about Sarah Maple. She's a multidisciplined artist that takes a very British approach to confront very British attitudes. She's of mixed race with a Kenyan mother and a British father. And having been brought up a Muslim, Sarah has witnessed bigotry and discrimination from various directions, be it racial, cultural or sexual. In 2007, Sarah won the New Sensations Award. Since then, she's developed an ingenious tool to highlight and confront the aforementioned bigotry and discrimination. She applies the perfect amount of satirical humour into her work that forces the viewer, before they've even realised it, to take a definite political or cultural stance. So subtle is her approach that if you're not laughing with her, you're laughing at yourself from the other side of the fence. In 2015, Sarah won a Sky Arts scholarship that enabled her to produce a new body of work. And in 2020, mid-pandemic, she teamed up with Sky Arts once again to break new ground and produce six 10-minute sitcom episodes. In real time, these culminate to a solo show named Sarah Maple's Nazi Sexy Shark Show. The reason it's called that will become apparent in this podcast. And that show is going to be at Jealous East from the 1st to the 15th of October. And it's curated by the mighty Kate Bryan. It's by appointment. So if you go to Sarah Maple's Instagram page, which is at Sarah Maple Art, in her bio, you can follow a link which takes you to the ticket calendar. And because I was producing this podcast with Sarah, I was lucky enough to become privy to the first three episodes. I must say that even when I think about one of the gags, I still laugh now. So please, come with me and meet Sarah Maple. I've been looking forward to this. (laughs) It's been a long time coming. When I first wrote my list out, you was definitely on my top ten of the the artists that I I wanted to speak to, that's for sure. Oh, thank you. In this podcast, I've got seven questions that I ask each artist. Um... How would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work? Well, that is a good question because I never, ever know what to say. So I should have had like, I should have a line ready that I say. Because some people, you know, when you meet them, they just rattle off this amazing thing about themselves. But the thing is, I think I do so many different things that it's hard to say. I don't just, I don't just paint. I can't say, oh, I paint this or I do this. I do one thing about you know, a neon or an installation or an art sitcom or something, yeah. and it's all about different themes. So yeah. and it'll just respond to what's going on around me, essentially, yeah. <laughs> You've got to get to a point where you can rattle off everything you do because there's so yeah. many people you have to be able to go, I'm this, but sometimes you don't know what you are. You could feel exactly. differently on a different day, couldn't you? And I was going to say, yeah, you'll be different if I ask you on Friday yeah. to, to what you are today. One day I might be like, oh, I'm the worst artist ever. <laughs> <laughs> when was your first interest in art? Um, 
well, this sounds like a made up story, but it's not. Um, when I was a really young kid, um, I was looking in the drawers under my bed. I think I was about five or something. And I found all my mum's drawings from, you know, when she was younger and everything in yeah. the, in the drawer under my bed and all these amazing drawings. I just never knew that my mum could ever do anything like that. And so that's when I was interested in drawing. Oh, that's cold, though, isn't it? Yeah. And she'd and... never mentioned that she liked it. Sorry? Had she never mentioned that she liked it? No. And she sort of, I think ever since then, she sort of really denied her talent. She never does it now, really. Yeah. Um, so I think that kind of sparked my interest quite young. And then when I realised that I could draw, I sort of started practising that and drawing and painting all the time. And then um, I think when I was like a teenager and sort of really realising more because I always thought about art as like drawing and painting but then when yeah. I knew, found out more about it and realized there's the performance art and the YBAs and well, you can yeah. do this and that yeah. and then I was like wow I can actually say and communicate stuff with this and that's kind of where Super. it started really. Did, did she like that story that that she was the, uh, the inspiration behind it? I don't think so because <laughs> I don't think she wants to encourage me. But... <laughs> <laughs> Would she rather you be something else? Well, I think like as a mum, you always just you want. I suppose you 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 know you want the best for your kids, as you know. Yeah. Um. So it is such an uncertain profession, isn't it? Like you could have no money at some point, and then you're fine, and then it's like uncertain. Have you got a show? Have you not got? You know, or it's it's the most uncertain thing, and you somehow get through it. Yeah. So for her, my mum, I think she just always wanted me to be okay financially and be settled, and yeah. you know, she just she wouldn't have to worry about me. So maybe she probably would have been happier if I'd just done you know your normal job and yeah you know that sort of thing but I think she is proud of me now I think oh, no. <laughs> I think <laughs> well I heard this podcast with Grayson Perry and he said he basically somehow got by until he was in his 40s then he became famous so I'm kind of thinking if I can just get by <laughs> like Grayson Perry did it <laughs> I'm 50 I'm 52 so I've, I've missed that bus You've got to start wearing ladies' dresses. <laughs> Who says I don't? <laughs> it's not a it's not a Thursday today. That's, that's my dress day. So, what are you working on at the moment, Gary? Um, I'm just doing. Have you seen them time drawings I'm doing with the yes. tally marks? Yeah, yes. I'm just doing some of those. That was the idea was to make some of those to sell the prints of, which could be my sort of bread and butter, to go on and do the bigger things I wanted to do. And I'm still working on the bread and butter, unfortunately, at the moment. But, you yeah. know, them little bits that I've been working on are, are coming about. So, yeah, yeah, so that's nice at the minute. Yeah, you had time to sort of work on new things during lockdown, new pieces. Well, no, lockdown's projects. been the hardest thing for me because I work from home. And yeah. lockdown hit, both my kids were at home and my, my partner, she was working from home. And all of a sudden, I was invaded for five months. Yeah. <laughs> now she's gone back to work. The kids have gone back to school. And, um, yeah, I can sort of relax a little bit. You know, how have you found that yeah. now? Um, well, I think, like, a lot of people are saying, aren't they, that they sort of felt like everyone was pressuring them to, like, oh, lockdown, you, you know, it's really inspiring time. But I actually think a lot of people have found it a bit... It's such a traumatic thing, this whole yeah. thing that's going on. It's actually quite hard to think clearly with your work sometimes, isn't it? You think you feel like, oh, I should be responding to this. No one's used to having so much time on their hands, are they? So mm. people are getting bored because they don't know how to like, work with time. They're, they're so used to sitting on their daily routine. But artists, you know, being quite um, 
solitary people, um, yeah, they're on their own most of the time anyway. Yeah. So, um, and me being a, an ex-prisoner, a bit of bang up is easy for me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all right with it. So we're coming back to you. <laughs> yeah, having little flashbacks. I took me Mrs. Hostage on day four. <laughs> when did you realise you wanted to be an artist? Um, very young, I think. Probably um, 15 or 16. Oh, nice. Yeah, and so basically my whole life has been a pursuit for art. Sometimes I sort of think, if I didn't do this, I have no clue what I would do now. Because sometimes I think, oh, I'm so tired of everything. I'm just tired of it all. You know, just the pressure and anxiety sometimes that you have with doing it. Oh, I could maybe just do something else. But I don't think I'd just be completely lost without doing it. Well, that is my last question when I ask it. I've, I've got a couple more first, but... The very last question is, what would you do if you wasn't an artist? So, <laughs> is, it, is there anything that um, that you've always thought, oh, I'd like to like to do that, be a, a farmer or... Okay. I, I, I do, I do have something, but it's the most embarrassing thing ever. <laughs> By any means. Yeah, because once I've said it, I've committed and everyone knows. Yeah, maybe so maybe I'll say it later. If... <laughs> <laughs> Which piece that you've created um, has got the biggest emotional contact with you, do you think? Ooh, um, well, I re- I made a piece um, in, in 2018. I worked with Sky Arts on a project about uh, Britain, like Britishness yeah. post-Brexit. Um, and, you know, post-Brexit world hasn't really even happened. But so it's been, you know, it's been dragging on for so long. But... Um, so it's basically about like, to looking back on British identity. So I made this painting that was all about um, uh, like the empire and about how. Um, so it's called it's called the past is now, and it's got my parents in it, and it's got me yeah. in it. It's kind of a a colonial esque style yeah. painting. But it's kind of looking at British history and how like, all these things about that happened in the past of the empire and everything has made the Britain that we're in now kind of thing in terms of immigration and stuff. When Brexit happened, I sort of started to think even more about British identity and feeling sort of very frustrated about all these conversations that are going on about like who has the right to call Britain home, who has the right to be British and it sort of made me think about my own background. And, and you know, my mum moved to Birmingham from Kenya when she was about 10. Um, and, you know, she'd be the kind of person people would shout the P word at them in the street and go home yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And But you kind of think, well, the only, the only reason they came to this country was because they were British citizens because of the empire. And they were kind yeah. of forced into coming here because they were thrown out of the, the country that Britain had colonised. Like all the Indians were thrown out and... The only reason they were there is because of, you know, the partition of India and all that stuff. And you think, God, all these people that live here and you might think go home, they're so part of what Britain, what makes Britain, Britain and our history and everything. Yeah. So and then my mum obviously married my dad, who was who's British. So um, so it's kind of that, that combination of this whole mix of everything and how it's resulted in me. And there's so many kids in this country that are from mixed backgrounds and it's all in the empire and everything and yeah. I just don't think people really understand or appreciate that as enough but I don't think we understand anything about empire like I didn't even know about my family history really and now I understand my family history I understand Britain if that makes sense 
Yeah, well, it, it just goes to show how just a little bit of knowledge can help you understand massive big problems. Even though I come from, um, have you heard of Dagenham? Yes. It's in Essex, yeah. East London. In our junior school, for instance, there was no black kids and one Asian family, or there was two Asian brothers. Mm. And that's all there was in, in our town. And growing up, I was yeah. racist insofar as it was ignorance, rather, there was, it, it wasn't hate by any means, but it was definitely that sort of 1970s racism that, that we all had. And when I look yeah. back at it now, and it, it, it makes me cringe so much. And it, was, and it was even in me, even though I'm not a sort of hateful person, I'd say these racist things because they were just sayings that were in my area all the time mm. that, that didn't really have any hate behind them, just a lot of ignorance and intolerance, you know. You, you, I just think to myself, how could we even think like that, you know, but it, it still goes on. And unless you break that chain and make a difference... Yeah. And uh, it's, it's going to carry on, isn't it, you know? Yeah, and I think, especially with all this stuff that's happened this year, that's, you know, really important stuff with BLM and everything, and it sort of makes you think about how you need to be actively anti it yeah. and challenge it. Because, you know, I think it's okay to say, I'm not a racist and I don't think this and that, but I think all of us have been brought up with these racist ideologies yeah definitely yeah and it's like you have to actively you know that's what i'm trying i feel like i want to do that try and be more actively anti-racist if you know what i mean yeah yeah um, well my kids they don't see it at all and it is fucking beautiful yeah um like because it was it, it was all around when i was a kid you know and as i say in, in the 70s and 80s with all the tv programs and that were, that were going on he was being bomb, bombarded with with all of those sort of things and my kids just don't they just don't see or or think that way because they've not been given all of that false information in the first place you know and it is a beautiful thing to see it really is how old are they 16 and 13 or just coming up to 14 yeah I th I hope that things are getting better, but I don't know if they are. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I think a lot of stereotypes you know, are still there. Oh, definitely, mm. and, and they probably always will be. Yeah, and they, they they sort of shift and change, don't they? You know, but um, it, seeing my children's group of friends, it's definitely not as as mm. bad as it was then, and um, and especially now my because like, my my boy is the eldest and my daughter is is the youngest. And, like, I'm just constantly throwing stuff at my daughter, you know. Don't let anyone um, walk over you because of their position or their sex, you know, or their gender, rather. Um, and and it's good to see her because she's quite a quiet girl, but she's quite stubborn. And she doesn't really let on much of what she's thinking. But every now and mm. then, she'll just say a little something or she'll take a stance on something, you know. It was really good that that she sort of isn't just taking it, you know? Mm, I think definitely now it, it feels a more better place for women to stick up for themselves and call things out Yeah. than it used to be. I, I mean, I, can't, I grew up in a family, my dad wasn't around, and uh, so it was just me, my mum and my, my, my younger brother, and then we would always be around my nan's, which was my mum's mum, and my nan ruled the roost in her house. So I never really grew up with with all of that. The the women were in in my family. They would always like 
the, the men would always get more food and yeah you know, there'd be little bits like that that which which again don't happen in my family now but all, all little bits and i can't even think of any or it yeah. was inbred into them it's like everyone, they're all feminists and outspoken and everything but the men still have the food served to them that sort of thing yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and uh, you know my, my granddad wouldn't have thought of putting the putting the washing out or, or anything yeah. like that you know yeah. where was we can I talk about an artwork, one, one of yours that sort of really struck out to me? It's like no other job, really. Oh, yeah. I absolutely love that. I know it's oh. quite a few years ago now, but I, it really did strike a chord with me. Oh, thank you. Because I actually, the other day I was looking at that, I thought, oh, that's one that I never really talk about that I did um, about eight years ago. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was basically, um, we were commissioned by um Lascatola Gallery to make an installation. It's a great gallery because it was all windows. So we did this performance with 30 um young women wearing Miss World outfits and then throughout the day um we would have them catwalking through the gallery and then it would be one, then two, then it built built up the number of women. So by the end of the day there was like 30 women standing with their face to the wall. Yeah. So people you weren't allowed inside the gallery. So people could only look at it from the outside and look in. And so all people could see walking by was these women like catwalking through the gallery and then standing with their face against the wall. So all you could see was the backs of the women. Um, I, I, what I love about that is all the conversations going on outside, because to me, it's almost the audience reaction, which is more interesting yeah, than what's yeah. going on inside. It would have um, been nice to have had a microphone out there, wouldn't it, to um, pick yeah. up on what some of, some of them are saying. Yeah, because all I've got is people who told me that people were like, oh, look at her ass, or which one would you ban? Like, <laughs> we said it all, really. <laughs> yeah, every response to it is a valid one, no matter whether it's uh, positive yeah. or negative, isn't it? And it really changed my mind about performance art, actually, because I had this, it was quite a stressful thing to put together, and I had to ask all these volunteers to do very specific things and come out with specific timings and all this stuff. Yeah. But you can't really control what happens on the day. So you have all this plan and then you can't control what's going to happen, how you're going to feel, what the reaction's going to be, because it's all like the public and everything. So just how I felt during the performance and, you know, how it was very difficult and, you know, the longevity of being in that gallery for eight hours and staring at this wall and how you feel physically, the thoughts that go through your mind, how it feels to be watched in a very obvious way. I thought this is actually something that's very, very interesting, and I want to pursue more. So that's kind of yeah. led on to me doing more live performances and video pieces and things like that. Um, and I'd really love that interaction with the audience. I think the audience feedback is the connection with the audience is the most interesting thing to me. Yeah, how did you get the feedback from that from that show, or was it just from what you'd? little snippets of what you'd seen and heard yeah and from what people told me and you can sort of how you can see people looking in and the kind of I don't know the, the, the weird feeling from the crowd almost you could sort of feel what was going on and and people basically people were telling me what was had been said but I think in the future if I did something like that I would get the reactions and somehow it, film that it's quite interesting when you have viewers who aren't necessarily art viewers or yes. people who are into art when it's just general when it's just the general public I think that's quite a, a different response yeah and that's my favorite response I think 
I agree. Yeah, when people aren't expecting it. And, and people say, oh, I don't know anything about art. But they do know. And they've exactly. got a comment. They've got an opinion. Yeah. And they just expect it to be something that's a separate from them. So that's yeah. why I love doing something like that in that kind of space, definitely. Well, one of my favourite art-related moments, which I, I do talk about quite a lot, when I was in jail, um, like, and I discovered art, I was like, I, I refer to myself as a born-again artist because I would go out and I would preach art, you know, like art can save you, it's the saviour, you know. Mm. And people would ask me to do these drawings for them. They were quite simple. They, it was pretty much like I'm doing now as it happens. It was just a big barb, a single barb of barbed wire. And it was like a sort of war hole, you know, where it was yellow and the shading was blue on it, you know, just these little shapes. And people would buy them off of me um, because they were quite interesting and bold um, objects anyway. And I'd say, look, I'll do it for half price or a quarter of the price if you come and paint it with me. So I'd do the main bit and I'd get them just to colour in the shapes. And there was this armed robber called Dave who was a complete fucking psycho. You know, like when you're talking to him, if you say the wrong thing, you could end up with a right hander. And he asked me for one. So I went, well, you come and paint it. And I think I might have said you could have it for nothing, you know. And he was sitting there and he had this paintbrush and he was just like a little boy. I'm standing behind him doing a, like drawing out the next one. And he's at my table and he's, he's got this brush like that and he's, he's got his tongue out, you know, where he's trying to keep inside the lines. And he turned out and he went, he went, can I ask you something? I went, what? He went, why did that Picasso paint like he did? And I just thought that was such a fucking connection because, mm. you know, he's, he's thinking about art and, and just by thinking that he can ask me that question because he wouldn't have made himself look that vulnerable out on the wing. But because of what he's doing and the environment that we're, we were in, he sort of he felt it was safe enough to to ask that question, you know, and that, that yeah. really did connect with me. Yeah, yeah. I I also had a Dave when I worked in the call centre. We've all got a Dave. We've all got a Dave. I love Dave. He's amazing. But he used to. He's a kind of geezer who just be like, "Oh, right, baby," you know. He'd always be like really sexist and a bit pervy. Um, <laughs> but he's a bit uncomfortable. Um, but, yeah, so was this one. <laughs> that was his good points. Best <laughs> thing about him. Um, but he always used to, he just took such an interest in me as an artist. But he would never think, he, he would just never, not the kind of person who'd assume would take an interest. And not, not to make yeah. an, an assumption, but you know, I was working in a call centre and everyone thought that it was completely wacky that I was an artist, you know, it was that yeah, they were like, yeah. oh my God, you're some weird, and everyone just thought it was so weird. Yeah. And he would always interrogate me <laughs> so much, but he'd be like, but why have you done this? And, you know, you know, he, he'd like really analyse everything. And I'd just be like trying to do my course into work. And then he'd really like, I don't know, I just think someone like that who would never go to a gallery, like people that I went to, I was at work with had never been to a gallery, never stepped foot in one. And I love, in a way, I love that when they're just really interested in it and asking you questions from a, a place of no other reference. And that is when you, it's kind of like you get the best out of that. In a way. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Well, I'd never been into a gallery till I was 30. Really? What, not even on like a school excursion where they forced you no, to go? No, we, and... to to, we had to go to a museum once. I'd never, ever been into an art gallery until I was properly into art. Wow. I'd fallen in love with it and decided I wanted to be an artist and I'd still never been into one. And the first one I went in was uh, Tate Britain, or the Tate as it used to be known. Yeah, and, and but, what, um, how did you feel when you first went in it the first time? Like, how did, I, what, did, was there any particular pieces that you were in awe of? I remember standing outside, um, you know, looking at the steps, and I was hesitant to go in <gasps> because I was nervous. I, I was trying to think what I should do or what I should feel. or And then and we walked. I walked in, I walked into one of the rooms... And then I just sort of turned round, like from, oh, sorry, up, up the aisle way there, turned round, and in the doorway was this Francis Bacon. And I just went and I looked at it, I went up to it, and I was, I was just looking at all the, the marks that it made, because mm. I'd only ever, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd only ever seen them in a book or close up of these marks. Uh, marks and I didn't realise the scale the energy that I didn't realise you could get an energy off of an artwork mm. and I remember just going up to it and I just wanted a, a fucking hug it I really did and I was looking at it and then I've just walked back and there happened to be a bench one of the benches in there you know and I've sat down in there and this person comes out or this woman comes up next to me and she said it's beautiful isn't it and I looked around and I was crying oh. like looking at this artwork you know and oh, it was man. it was beautiful it was it was beautiful, it really was. I'm yeah. Getting, my eyes are going now. Yeah, I'm feeling about funny it, thinking you know? about it. Yeah. It's like when you, when you see something in a book or something and then you see it in real life, it's nothing like it when you see something like that. No. It's no, like, it was amazing. Yeah. I, I think the fir- my first amazing art moment was we went... Okay, it sounds like I went to a really posh school, but I didn't. I went to a normal school. But we had a, we had a school trip to Florence... Um, <laughs> this is, was a state school in Crawley but some of us could go and um, my mum let me go and I, like, I, did, I don't think I even really cared about anything like those pictures I, didn't, I hadn't really thought about it but then, when there's, have, you ever been, have you ever been to Florence or you've been to no. like, because basically there's, they have the Statue of David in this hall and you sort of turn the corner and you see the Statue of David like from afar and I wasn't even expecting to see it didn't even know what the statue was called but I remember turning around and seeing that statue and going and just being like oh my god like mind blown at this statue i just yeah. couldn't get over it and i think that's when that's i thought great, art it? is fucking amazing it was like that. It? Oh, <laughs> yeah. i love it i love it when you get that feeling yeah so how did you get this marble there in like this whatever 16th century whatever it was how did you make this how I, that's why i thought art there's no excuse for making shit art when there's stuff yeah. like that made in those yeah. times it's just amazing do you yeah. still get that feeling now on certain artworks? Yeah. I, I, went, I saw Tracy Hemming's bed and I got really excited about seeing that. Um, but yeah, I think when you see something... I've, even when I went to like Miami Basel, 
and I saw um I can't remember what his name is I think his name is Devon something I have to send you a link to his work but it's incredible paintings and I was just like this is so good I'm Miles with Michael Warner I'm a clutchy hold of Michael Warner and saying, this is so good <laughs> he's got nail marks in his arm <laughs> but then oh, he was goodness. he was like I don't really get it but you like it <laughs> I was like I love it so much and he's keeping you at bay with a stick all the way around the, all the way around the show if there was you and five other artists past and present what would your ideal group show be Ooh. Uh, anyone Hmm. I think Sarah Lucas, probably lots of people that are around now. She's not... my favourite. I love her so much. Oh. I feel gutted I didn't see that show that she, you know, the one that she did one at Sadie Cole's quite recently and it was like interrupted because oh, of I lockdown. Yeah. Oh, I didn't get to that and I just gutted I didn't get to see that because that looked amazing. Yeah. Gillian Waring was one of my favourites. Love her so much. Um... Barbara Kruger, all women, basically. And I think yeah. I love Frieza, but I love Faith Ringgold is one of my absolute favourites. Yeah. Love her. Just I only really found out about her work about three years ago. But every... Oh, yeah, I well. didn't really know her work that well, actually. I think I just saw it in the... There was that show at the Tate, wasn't there? I um, can't remember what it's called. But she had a big piece in that. And it's good when you discover an artist and you go... How the fuck haven't I known of this person? It, yeah, you know, they yeah. Sort of, they tick every box that you've that you've yeah. got in your mind, and you go, well, "Why? Well, how did that pass?" Yes, you know, bonkers, yeah. yeah. I've been doing this for this, you know, since I was a te- <laughs> like, like, teenager, and I haven't put, discovered this person. What's wrong with me? <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I, lo- I love her work, and I saw um, she did that painting, the one where it's like a crowd and it's kids and people are getting killed and there's like blood yeah, and there's yeah. that one. I saw that at, at MoMA. And somebody walked past and went, that painting's disgusting. And I was like, dare you? I was so annoyed. I was like, how can you say that about that painting? It's just amazing. That's the same for me. As long as it's creating a a response, if it's a strong response, sometimes hate is a stronger response than love, you know? Yes, yeah. I'd rather be uh, people to hate or love than be like, yeah. Yeah, I've, in a way, they're, they're responding. And art isn't always something to, made to be liked, is it? I love when something's just got a really clever concept, an idea behind it, and it just elevates its like, point where you're like, oh my God, it's such a good idea, and you just love it more. That's what, I think that's why I really like conceptual art, I think. I was one of those, um, anyone can do that. He's put a shark in a fish tank. It's not that big a deal, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, she's made a tent with some names in it. It was it was Mona Hatoum's No Way. Do you know the Colindar? Yeah, I think I saw that. Was that the tape recently as well? She had a big uh, show? Or... Uh, yeah. Right Cube she was at. Oh, right, OK. No, I don't think I've seen that, no. Yeah, it's a, it's a colander with nuts and bolts in it and it's meant to be a barrier over her homeland. Right. She wasn't allowed back. Nuts and bolts are entrances and exits, you know, stopping any movement. And... I just saw a Colin down nuts and bolts and I thought that's, that's a trip to being Q and a tenor, you know. And I, I was really poo-pooing that idea because it was just something anyone could do. When I read the story behind it, it was that specific artwork that oh. made me go, fucking hell, this conceptual stuff is amazing. And then yeah. that sort of unlocked um, or, or made me look at things through different eyes, that specific artwork. Then I looked at Myra Hindley. Then I looked at the tent. You know, and 
and all of these other artworks and then all of a sudden I'm reading this book that is like you know like in the cartoon someone will open a bible or something and it'll be this ray of light that comes out that's what that fucking catalogue was like for me Mm. and it's been exactly the same ever since yeah yeah talking to you is like when I talk to Kate Bryan because she is like so you know you love art so Dave from the call centre then Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Dave like um, but like, I love it when you just talk to people who just just love art so much. It just reminds you of why you're doing it and why you, yeah. why you love it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but yeah, it's from that day. Because I don't know if I, I think I said to you before when we was at um, Jealous that I wrote to like 32 of the artists that was in Sensations and like 28 of them replied. And really? Fuck, yeah, 28. i Well, I wrote to 32 because I thought, well, if I... Fish with a net, I've got more chance than if I'm fishing with a rod, you know. Mm. Um, so I just wrote to fucking loads of them, thought I'm bound to get one. Sarah Lucas was the first one. Ah, oh, ah, oh, yeah. Lucas. Her, her and Angus Fairhurst, because they was oh together at the time. So I got this joint letter with a parcel, and it was either the next day or the day after was Gavin Turk. <gasps> and then it just, after that, it was just one parcel after another, after another. And then throughout my sentence, bearing in mind I was maybe two years in, 18 months in at this point, and I was in for seven. For the next five years, these artists might have been every, like twice a year, they'd send me a little letter with a parcel, just had a show, thought you might like this. Oh my God. And, and it was just pushing me towards... Like, you know, as things going with your cough, fuck you, sorry, look, my eyes are going here. Oh, Gary, this is um, so amazing. (laughs) Sorry. But they're like just pushing me, you know, how are you doing with with this course? How are you doing with that course? And then I'd get a a letter from an old, like when I'd moved, look, look at my eyes. Let it out, Gary. Um, (laughs) When when I go to another prison, like I had one from um, like Gary Hume replied to Gary and I even had a Gary Hume artwork in my fucking cell he'd sent me this like little artwork to, to put in my oh, cell you know what? and um yeah and so they're pushing me like throughout these art courses and towards my degree you know and I fucking owe everything I really do oh sorry you should do <clears> something <throat> with this I don't know I just think I, it's such I a beautiful story see, see when I when I look at my children this yeah. is it's because of them people you know yeah that I changed because otherwise they would have been kids like me because I was a different person then. You know, mm. I was I was a, I was a fucking arsehole fuck. Like when I when I went to prison, I'm not that person anymore. And my kids are testament to that because my kids are fucking beautiful kids. Yeah. And they wouldn't have been if it wasn't for them artists because I would have been the same person. You know. Wow. So art really saved you. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. It's beautiful. But anyway, sorry. Um, but what was it oh, about? What was it about art that you think made turned you around? Do you think is it that it gave you well, an was, outlet, or it was a few little things? The art tutor we had was fucking amazing, right? A guy called Doug Spooner. He was amazing, but it was at a time when I wanted to stop being that arsehole that I saw in the mirror. You know what I said earlier. Mm. And it was at that time when I, I thought, I don't want to be a part of this fucking life anymore. I want something else. But I didn't know, I'd never done anything else other than be a criminal, you know. And then all of a sudden, when I fell in love with art and saw Ray Richardson and realised that it could be me, I could be an artist, 
because they're not all just white, middle-class, wealthy people that spoke like poets. Mm. There was also people like Ray Richardson and, and fucking hundreds that I've met along the way since, you know. But that was my perception of an artist. And then it was at that point when I was trying to look, and, and it was, because they all wrote to me and replied within maybe three weeks. And they was being really, like, saying, come into our world, you know, it's a brilliant world. And, um, and they were saying, like, you know, the art world needs people like you, like from yeah. your background and from your position. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden it gave me a little bit of importance where the importance I had before was go and get Gary. Not only is he loyal, he can have a fucking tear up. He's a good person to know in that respect. And I always sort of thrived on that, of, of my reputation in that dodgy world. And then they're, they're sort of pushing me and like drawing me in. And I'm thinking, and by this time I've, I've, I've realised the... the I was going to say the worth. I've, I've realised the position of these people in the art world. I'm talking to the sort of fucking Giants. ones who are just knocking on the A-list, you know. Mm, yeah. And um, Sarah, I was even getting letters from artists who I hadn't even written to. Oh, my God. And they were, yeah, they were saying, oh, I was with so-and-so in, in the pub the other day. They mentioned you, and I thought you might like to see my artwork. It's fucking beautiful, isn't it? I love that they, they chatted and about just, it. <laughs> and Sarah, I could have been some fucking psycho rapist for all they knew. Mm. Because all they got was a letter, you know? Yeah. And, and that's what I say. I, I owe art fucking everything. I really do. Do you still converse with them now? Yeah, well, that's when I'd done my show, that face value. Yeah. Like Ray Richardson was the first I asked because of... Um, our history, you know, and he said he'd be in that show and donate an artwork to be damaged. Then I thought I'd ask Sarah. From there, I asked Gavin. And then all of a sudden, I had Ray Richardson, Sarah and Gavin, who are like my heroes in the art world, you know, the, the living heroes amongst a couple of others. Through the generosity of, of artists, got me back into the art world. Mm. Love it, love it, you know. But anyway... Fucking hell, it's as if uh, there's me telling you, you know, about what's <laughs> happening in my life. And this is a podcast about you. Can I ask you about your current show coming up at Jealous? Well, Gary, um, <laughs> the, the title is so ridiculous because basically it's called Sam Maple's Nazi Sexy Shark Show. Yeah. <laughs> Just so stupid. Wait, see, I was having a chat with, um, because Sky have, uh, I've been working with Sky Arts on this project. Mm-hmm. And I had a meeting with them and they said, oh, did you know that the things that people, they were just talking generally, like things that people click on the most are apparently sex, Nazis and sharks. And I thought, oh, that's, that's interesting. So I thought, well, why don't we just, as a joke, just call this uh, art sitcom Sarah Maple's Nazi Sexy Shark Show. And so then it's sort of, that's kind of stuck. And then now the exhibition's called that. And now I'm thinking, was that wise? I don't know, because I sent my newsletter out the other day and it's got, like, Nazi sexy shark. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to yeah. probably offend anyway. <laughs> but then, because I thought, oh, what's happened to me? Because before I would have been like, fuck yeah, I don't care who I offend. And then I was like, oh, God, my, oh, dear. I suddenly started feeling oh, a bit minute, more. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, I mean, if, if you know, you know me, people know me, my work, they know there's a reason behind it. And it's, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's sort of a funny poke at, you know, this kind of clickbait culture that we're living in and... You know, the key work in the show is this series of six films that I've made that are 10 minutes long and it's kind of a parody on a, on a sitcom, but it's like an it's like an art sitcom. So it's me yeah. and it's about my life and it's just like a semi-autobiographical series about my experience being an artist and being a woman and a Muslim woman in the art world. 
yeah. and like family and friends and stuff as well. And this special guest like David Tennant, Sonia Boyce, Nikki Bady, Kate Bryan's in it. Um, so that's been really fun, and it's been a whole completely a whole new avenue for me. Really, writing scripts and acting in things and stuff like that. It's just you know, I suppose part of the beginning part of me thought, am I moving away from art by doing this? But then I thought, well, um, artists like Rachel McLean who do incredible video works that are really have narrative at them and stuff. Oh, here's the cat again, sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I thought, you know what, this is another involvement of art. And, and what I love is that it's going to be on Sky Arts. So they will be on TV as an hour long special in October. Um, and Sky Arts is now free to view for all. So I think in this time of COVIDiness, you know, where people can't really get out and see art, I think this is just art on the telly. Anyone can watch it, which is what I love. And I'm really hoping yeah. that your Daves are going to be flicking through <laughs> and come across it and be like, what is this? You know, and somehow oh, get something from her. it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think um, I've just really, I hope that it sort of introduces a new audience to art, I think, because there's so Definitely. many art references and stuff in there. Well, did you ever see a sitcom called Rockin' Chips? No. It was the, supposed to be a prequel to Fools and Horses. That's a sort of feeling I got with yours. You was It's as if you were sort of telling us or showing us in film format where some of your ideas have come from, you know? Mm, the sort of expectation or youth... I don't know, because I, I won this Saatchi Prize when I left art school. Yeah. Um, and so it was like this... I'd been shit the whole way through art school and then in the last couple of terms I did good stuff and then I won this award like months a few couple of months yeah, later so it was yeah. quite a, like oh now I've been validated and Anthony Gormley and Sadie Coles and I've given me this award nice. and this idea of like oh everything's going to be great from now on and then it's just been a struggle <laughs> <laughs> did that did that change much for you as an artist when you won that award did it open a few doors even you know, in, in the short term? Well, yes and no, because it didn't... I, I don't think my work was at the level, at a good enough level at that point to be opening doors for, like, the best, you know... Yeah, yeah. Because I just don't think I was ready for it. So I think I, I got a leg up definitely from it, and I got shows and I got... You know, it, it validated me to get opportunities, which then led on to other things, which is where I am at now. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it, it gave me... I still had to work really hard to get any sort of clout I think you know as a woman as well you're you're working twice as hard to prove that your ideas are valid I mean yeah. and also I was like a young girl so but I think people were like oh she's just a silly girl and obviously because because things are funny that I was making people like she's just yeah. funny and silly and she just you know it was very very dismissive as well I, I don't think there's any point in being funny or doing something funny just for the sake of it for yeah. me it has to have like it's back to that love of conceptual art that we were talking about and like as long as you've got a clever concept concept and a political thing behind it I think that's what Definitely. makes it yes that's that's what's that, yeah. that's the tick box that's everything in a good artwork I think and I think I think humor is one of them things that can draw people into the art world like mm. the Dave that we was talking about yeah or both of our both of our, our Dave's if you've got something funny there they see the they see the funny first yes and then um, they, then they cotton onto the story and they go, oh, I found it funny because of this reason or that reason, you know. Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of things that can make people change their minds or their perception. You're like, you're like opposite to a feminist is an arsehole, one of my pieces. Yeah, 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 people yeah, yeah. hate that and love it. And I love that people, I can change people's minds in a way. They, they go oh, into no, it perfect. hating it and then I, under, I explain it and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, and then you can sort of 
gain a gain a follower, <laughs> gain a fan. So in Nazi Sexy Shark Show. Yes. What came first, the idea for this show or for making a sitcom and having a show as a part of that? Well, um, it kind of changed because of COVID. So initially, the whole thing was one huge meta experience. So initially, what was meant to happen, because in the episodes, it's meant to be week by week. Um, so it's, meant, it's going to be edited. So you'll see it's like week one, week two, week two. And so in the first episode, I find out I have a show in six weeks time. Then each episode is building up to this show. So it's like week one, week two. And then pe- it was meant to be that people could watch it in real time. So they're like, oh, and then the show is really happening. So they're like, is yeah, this real? Yeah. Is it not? Like a real, real weird meta thing. But because of COVID, we had to delay filming. So now we can't release them week by week like that, which is a shame because I think that could have been really fun. Yeah. So now instead, it's um, they're going to be shown in the show and then it's going to be one hour long on Sky. So the whole thing was meant to be together, like one concept. And so the show itself has kind of elements from the sitcom in it. Um, and it's all kind of satirical take on art, I think, yeah. a lot of it. Which is, a, a, that's the makings of a of every good sitcom, isn't it? Yeah. I saw yeah. this, I had this thing with Jerry Saltz and he said, <laughs> don't make art, artists shouldn't make art about being an artist. And I thought, shit, I've just made an entire... <laughs> spend a year on this film <laughs> and these things oh, shit 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 but I think we can have a laugh at ourselves can't we I think we need just, that at the moment just don't invite him <laughs> everything will be fine but I love him he's <laughs> great isn't he yeah he's yeah great. yeah you've got a, you're bringing a few people in to this sitcom yes um, a few people from the art world um, yeah who have you got in it um so Kate Bryan who is also who's basically she's my mentor in it and yeah. she's actually curating the real show in real life. Um, so we've got Sonia Boyce as well, who's in episode four. Yeah. And Nikki Bailey, who's an arts journalist, an amazing, hilarious person. Um, she's in episode five. And Will, like Will Gompertz. Oh, do you? Oh, she's so, yeah. she's so brilliant. She's cool, isn't she? Yeah. And Will Gompertz, who's the arts editor of the BBC. His he's character's in... good, isn't it? Yeah. When is it coming out? Um, so you can watch the films in the show, which opens on the 1st of October. And it will, I think that the, it's going to be mid-October, but I don't want to give you the date just yet because I'm not 100% sure. But it's going to be um, released on Sky Arts while the show's up. So it should be oh, within the next few weeks, yeah. So the show's on from the 1st to the 18th of October. Yes. At Jealous East in, yes. in London. Lovely Jealous. Um, they make a, an appearance in the sitcom, don't they? Yeah, so so basically, as it's completely meta, it's actually in the show it's happening in Jealous and in real life it's happening in Jealous. Yeah, yeah. And they let us take over the gallery for two days and we filmed in there and we did a whole episode in there, or two episodes in there, actually. Um, and they're just... Jealous are just the best gallery, really. They're great, aren't they? They're just up for anything. Dario looks so much younger in the, in the sitcom, doesn't he? <laughs> Oh, it's so good. I just, I think they're such a lovely team there. And they're just, for me, that's what art, the art world should be like more. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I can't say too much about them because as soon as you walk in the door, you've got great people sitting behind that desk. Yeah. Dario is so eager to, to make things happen as well. Yes. Isn't he, you know? Yeah. And they take, take risks. Um, exactly. And give you a chance, you know. I mean, they, they, they took my show on just with me sort of turning up and, and talking about it, you know, and, and done one after that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I know um, Kate works closely with them as well, doesn't she? Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a perfect mix. 
Kate and Dario. That's the thing, because Jealous is always rammed, isn't it? Every opening. Yeah. So yeah. Um, what we're going to do is have an all-day opening and nice. people can book slots. And I think government guidelines say you can have 14 people in the space. So we're thinking of just doing that and then we'll have to have people book before they go, which I'd rather do that than cancel it, not have it at all. I, I really, I yeah. mean, we've put a year's work into this show <laughs> Um, and Kate's worked with me for all this time. I kind of think, yeah, we, we'll just make it work. I think things aren't going to change, are they, COVID-wise, yeah. for another year? So, I mean, um, it'd, be, it'd be quite fun to have people going in the front door and, like, like snaking around the gallery and then going behind the desk and then out the back door. Yeah. So yeah. it's just a constant move of yeah. people, you know. Move along, people. <laughs> yeah, or a travelator going around the... <laughs> Going around the show. It is um, quite a so, shame though, because like, like the thing you the thing you sort of aim towards is that opening night, don't you? When everyone's there, all your friends come, and it's like, oh, yeah. it's not really really the same, I suppose. Yeah, everyone's yeah. going to be like that, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone with their masks on. So, how can people book a slot for this show? Um, they can go on the Jealous website, and if they find the link to my show on the website then they should be able to book a slot from there. And then I'll put it on my Instagram and everything and Facebook and stuff as well. So if people want to book, they can. So make it nice and easy. Excellent. And me and Kate will be there all day. Oh, that's <laughs> going to be hard. I mean, I find openings quite stressful anyway. I'm just but... about to cope for two hours. <laughs> but, but maybe because there'll be fewer people, it won't be as stressful, I'm hoping. Well, you'll only find out by the second, won't you? <laughs> whether, yeah. Whether that's correct or not. I'll go and hide I've, in the print studio. I've, I've got to say, I know it sounds like I'm brand nosing here, but I properly admire this step that you've taken and where you are at the moment, because I think this is bloody amazing. I, I can't believe that it's not been done yet, and I think it's a beautiful thing that you're doing. I really do. Oh, thank you, Gary. I, I properly admire you for, for, for doing it. Thank you. <laughs> Makes it all worth it, because this whole year I've been like, what am I doing? Is this the good, good thing to be doing? So thank you. That makes me feel like it's all worthwhile. <laughs> all right, superb. Um, anyone that wants to see more of your work, where can they see you on website or Instagram? Um, my website's sarahmaple.com. And then there's lots of stuff on Instagram if people want to see kind of what's coming up and things like that and just some day-to-day -day things. So, yeah, mainly on uh, the website and Instagram. And then if they want to watch the films, they can watch those on Sky Arts and they'll be available to view on there and catch up and stuff as well. Excellent. Sarah, that's all my questions asked. Best of luck for the first. Thank I'm, you. I'm definitely going to book me space for it. Yes. And I'll see you then. See you later on. Bye. And there we have it, Sarah Maple. How good was that conversation? As I said at the intro, I have been waiting for this podcast for a damn long time. And it was well worth the wait. And unfortunately, because we was talking about the Nazi sexy shark show so much in this podcast, I had to cut oh so much of it out. And as Sarah said in there, she's got some amazing guests in the sitcom. And although I only saw the first three episodes... Sarah did tell me that they just build and build and build. And as Sarah said there, if you want to go to the Nazi Sexy Shark Show at Jealous East on the 1st of October, which is a Thursday, and you're in London, obviously, go over to Sarah's Instagram page, follow the link and book your tickets. I've already got mine. After making an art sitcom, 
it makes you wonder where she could go next. Fourth plinth? <laughs> but anyway, that's it for this week. So like I say every week, on whichever platform you're listening to this podcast, you should be able to leave a comment. If you could do that, that really helps us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast. If you've got any questions, you can contact me on Instagram at MizogArt or at MinistryOfArts.org. So, thanks for listening and until next week, ta Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.